I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. You're listening to Muses and Stuff. This is the podcast that's all about the dolls. They were the groupies, the wives, the girlfriends, and the muses who played such a huge role in rock and roll history by simply being themselves. They were sweet, sexy, brave, and powerful. They went after what and who they wanted, and they made no apologies. We are your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Electrified Porcupine. Electrified Porcupine is a pretty kick-ass website where you can go and read and learn all about music, gaming, wrestling, retro, TV, movies, cartoons, and collectible toys. So go to electrifiedporcupine.com and have a look around. See what you like. Okay, here we are. I'm so excited to kick off yes. this series yes. of episodes that we're going to be doing. So this is the first of three Elvis-related uh, episodes. It's, I think, the 40th anniversary of his passing, so we wanted to honor him and do something special. And he had some amazing women in his life, and they have amazing stories, and I'm real excited to get on with this. Yeah. First, uh, we should mention we already have an episode up of one of Elvis's ladies, Tura Satana. Yes, and she is incredible. Oh, I'm just like, I mean, a part of it, I'm, I'm so happy that like the episode is up and mm-hmm. I enjoyed doing it, but 
it was before Lynx was on. Yes, it was. So I didn't, if I would have known, you know, I would well, have loved Well, we can always revisit some other time. Uh, I believe they're actually making a documentary about her right now. So yeah. when that comes out, like for sure, we'll, we'll have to, I'm sure I'll have even more information on her too. So Yeah, because we know that Pleasant as well as Pamela have stories about oh, her yeah. and have met her. And I got Elvis- to see her live once. Uh, at a screening of Faster Pussycat and I got to ask her a question. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding. How? Like, (laughs) I learn so much about you every single time that we're together and you never cease to amaze me of the experiences that you had, you've had the people that you met and you're so friggin' humble about it. Well, I can't believe it. Yeah, she's she's amazing and that was definitely like a highlight moment for me. Wow. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so Shtura, the name doesn't come up in the book that I read that I'll be presenting in the third episode, but uh, her influence on Elvis was certainly present throughout. Yes. And she was um, his influential. Entire life. She was like important at the beginning of his career, especially. At the very, very beginning. Uh, so today's episode, though, the first one we're going to be doing together is all about Anne Margaret. Oh, and what's going to be so much fun for me uh, with this is because I did do Tura mm-hmm. um, and then I'm doing Ginger. Yes. So who's coming in at the end? So we've got the Tura episode and Margaret, Priscilla, Priscilla and, then and then Ginger. Yes. So you're doing the bookends. You've done so the I'm bookends. doing the bookends yes. and I do not know about the middle part. Perfect. About the about the two in the middle. So I feel a little bit like Ginger in the sense that she was just kind of thrown into Elvis's life, which is how I felt with her in that last bit of the book. And now I get a little bit of context to, to kind of what she had come into. Perfect. Great. Let's do this. So Anne, Priscilla came before Anne, but it's important to hear Anne first, I think. I read Anne's book first and then I read Priscilla's and I was like, whoa, like... She really filled in a lot of the blanks, and I'm glad I read Anne's first because uh, I got to like know know the the middle part that Priscilla n- doesn't cover because it's not her story, obviously. Great. So we're gonna start with Anne. Um, she was born in a- uh, April 28th, 1941, in a small town in Sweden. And her dad had moved to America just outside of Chicago to work for uh, an electrical company. And her mother took care of her for the first five years. And it, was, it wasn't until 1946, in, in November, that her and her mother moved to America to live with her pops. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they arri- their boat arrived in New York, and her dad, the first day that she was in America, took her to Radio City Music Hall. Oh. And she saw her first ever film there. She saw the Rockettes, I believe. It was like a big like whoa like america like life and so uh she said that the first way she saw was the al jolson story so she was speechless by the end and that was kind of her first taste of uh that kind of life so Anne was super well behaved as a child, partly because she wanted to be perfect for her parents, especially because she didn't have a dad for the first five years and you know being a child uh she didn't want him to leave so she wanted to be perfect you know for him uh she became a citizen uh, pretty quickly i believe and she began dance lessons and her parents were extremely supportive of her talents 
um, when she was 10 years old, she went back to Sweden to visit her family. This is important because her uncle had a motorcycle and her dad used to ride too. And uh, at 10 years old, she went on this motorcycle ride and it unleashed this lifelong obsession with motorcycles. She's she's a biker chick and uh, that's an important part of interesting yes. okay, everybody keep that in mind for my episode yes yes i think we're gonna start seeing some real things oh, yeah. come up a lot oh, of yeah. similarities okay. oh yeah so uh another thing to keep in mind for this episode is in 1952 her dad had an accident at work where he fell two stories onto the concrete he survived but it's just a, a strange foreshadowing so just just remember that happened so Anne loves singing for her friends and her family. And at 13, her f- a family friend, I believe, got her an audition for a talent show at the time called Amateur Hour. Uh, she was nervous, but the minute she went on and the music started, she just, she has this ability to just lose herself in the music. She's actually like a very shy person, but if you, if you watch her perform, you'd never, ever know she you just, sent me a couple of videos. Yeah, and she transforms. I was yeah, she's unbelievable. Like you have to check her out if you haven't already. Uh, she won first place in that talent show, and she got seventy five dollars. And she went on to do other talent shows, school plays. She started vocal lessons. Uh, she got a job as a singer in a band for a couple of years. Um, she had a mentor who was like, "I can see a future in film for you," and she was like, "No, not me," you know. She didn't see it. Uh, after high school, she attended Northwestern for a short time. In high school, she was a cheerleader. And, mm-hmm. of course, in Northwestern, she was a sorority girl. But she got involved with a band, and she had her first boyfriend. They were called the Subtle Tones. Uh, eventually, that band ended up in L.A. and Vegas. I actually kind of like that name. The Subtle Tones? Yeah. yeah. We hear a lot of crazy band names yeah. on this yeah. podcast. It's cute. Uh, they were performing at like swanky restaurants and clubs and they were pretty successful. So Anne ended up, uh, dropping out of school. Her parents, uh, they were supportive of her. They said, we believe in you. We believe in your talent. Like do what you got to do. Uh, around this time, her full name is Anne Margaret Olson. Uh, around this time she dropped the Olson because she didn't want her to embarrass her parents if forever in the future she would receive negative press or anything like that she just wanted to separate make sure that that they never I guess brought her family into it she got her first taste of fame when producer Frank Taylor went to see her perform uh he was working on the movie The Misfits at the time and he brought Montgomery Clift and Eli Wallach to see her uh they went backstage and they invited her and the band to the set and she got to meet Clark Gable and she saw Marilyn Monroe from like a distance uh she didn't get to talk to her but uh coincidentally uh Marilyn's stand-in would eventually end up being Anne Margaret's stand-in so it was oh this, interesting yeah so she began playing uh at the dunes a Vegas hotel that Tony Bennett was headlining um and Margaret got a job with uh, George Burns in his holiday show, and he sort of became a mentor to her. He was also, I believe, a mentor to Bobby Darren, so he really helped a lot of people uh, jumpstart their careers. I noticed that uh, there's a picture in her book of her and Bobby Darren. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, she got rave reviews, and in 1961, at 19 years old, she got her own apartment and car in L.A., and it was really amazing. Within a period of five days, she met with 20th Century Fox. She got a screen test that would end up signing her to a seven-year contract. She signed with RCA to record her first album, and she began working with Life magazine. On yeah, because f- she had it all. She was yeah. like that triple threat. Yeah, and she they had it in Life uh, before she ever even did a film or anything, a 14-page spread on her. Oh, my. Yeah. Uh, A month later, her first single came out. It was called Lost Love. And uh, the album a few months later, and that's called And Here She Is, Mm Anne-Margaret. And she sang it on the Jack Benny show. She She was starting to make a name for herself. In 1961, she was also introduced to a man named Roger Smith. Uh, He was on a popular show called 77 Sunset Strip. It was really popular at the time. Uh, She liked him, but she was actually dating another actor named Peter Brown at the time. And so nothing really happened, but she she met this guy. Keep that in mind. Uh, Her first film was Pocket Full of Miracles. Frank Capra directed it, and Betty Davis was also in it. So it was like... What a way to start your career. I feel like our podcast just should be called Pocket Full of Miracles. Yeah, really, really. <laughs> Everything is just feels. wonderful, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, her second film was called State Fair. Uh, she auditioned for The Good Girl, but ended up getting cast as The Bad One, uh, which kind of would happen a lot in her career. Not where she played bad girls, but she'd play like the sexy one she's one she's got that mischievous yeah. little look to she's her she's got like so. a sex kid i get kind it of thing and especially the way she performs it's it is like very sexual like you you feel it and that was an important film because they dyed her hair orange which would become her trademark and she still has orange hair to this day so oh yeah she looked good both though i really um because the some of the videos that i saw she had the brunette and yeah I thought that was in gorgeous. the early yeah yeah she, she's, anyway she rocks she's both. stunning mm-hmm. and she has amazing hair like I, <laughs> I wish i had her hair this coming from lynx people <laughs> wow so in 1962, she was still relatively unknown when she got asked to sing at the Academy Awards. It was a huge honor, and she got to bring her parents. Uh, it's really cute, though. Uh, after she performed, they left, and they went across the street to like a restaurant and watched the rest of the Academy Awards from there. Um, she was a huge hit, and her managers actually had to hire more staff to keep up with all the calls they were getting just from that one performance virtually overnight she was booked for the next couple of years the problem was she was very young and naive and she didn't realize that her manager was signing her to commitments that she would never be able to do because they started stacking up and like the times weren't right mm-hmm. but she didn't know this yet she just thought wow i'm all booked up for years and I'm great yeah you like that's a position of trust you hope that exactly. that person has your best interest exactly. in mind and is a professional but mm. you know so she also ended up getting engaged to her older boyfriend who was a businessman at the time but her parents like extremely objected uh she was only 20 and he had already been divorced and had a kid and she was just starting her career uh, she ended up breaking up with him because she didn't want to disappoint her parents. Uh, after that, she briefly dated Lou Adler and Eddie Fisher, Carrie Fisher's dad, and Debbie Fisher's ex, and Liz Taylor's ex. And uh, her parents would accompany them on their first few dates. Like that's how uh, that's that's how good girl she is. She's she was very sweet, very young, naive. And what year are we in? Um, like 61, 62. Okay. 
So Eddie actually gave her a Yorkshire puppy, which she named Scooby. I'm telling you that because that is important. It comes back. So uh, her dad ended up having a stroke that year, and she asked her parents to come to L.A. to live with her. So she was sleeping on the sofa, and uh, her parents were sleeping in her room. She just wanted them close, wanted to be with them. Um, she began shooting a film called Bye Bye Birdie, which would make her an instant star. This was an important film, and it's very funny because Bye Bye Birdie is a satire about when Elvis was drafted into the army. Whoa. It was a stage play first. Uh, so the the whole thing is about Birdie, a.k.a. Elvis, and he gets drafted into the army, and as a publicity stunt, they have this thing, a contest, where one lucky girl gets to go meet him on the Ed Sullivan show when he performs his one last song, which is called One Last Kiss, and she's going to get the kiss at the end of the song. And so it was it was really funny. Um, she says she didn't really know who Elvis even was at the time. Cool. Uh, she was the only p- one pretty much at that time who didn't know what El- who Elvis was. She, d- she didn't see him on Ed Sullivan. Like, she just... She was in her own world, so... She was too busy going on chaperoned dates. Exactly. So... That premiered at Radio City 16 years after that first day that she had in America. And she took her parents. And yeah, she just blew up after then. After that. Do um, you love that movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, it, she's adorable in it. You can see how incredibly talented she is. It's a, it's a fun, lighthearted, you know, sing and dance romp kind of thing. It, it is fun. It is a lot of fun. Uh the year after Marilyn Monroe did her happy birthday, Mr. President, <laughs> um, Anne had the honor of singing Baby, Won't You Please Come Home for JFK. Uh, she was so trusting of her manager uh, that she didn't realize until after she got invites and they invited her parents. They gave her two extra invitations and her manager told her, no, like these were for me and my people. Gross. Right. And uh, so she was pretty heartbroken, like, years later when she found that out. Uh, So after Bye Bye Birdie came rehearsals for a movie called Viva Las Vegas. Mm, I know that one. Yes. So, yeah. And didn't really know much about Elvis. Uh, So when they were introduced, they both said, I've heard a lot about you. And they said it at the same time. And that sort of broke the ice. They were, like, laughing at each other. And she said that she remembers Elvis looked great in a suit and a tie. And she wore this really cute white knit jacket and oh, skirt. Oh, he was so hot. Oh, God, Like, yeah. at that, that moment. That was like him in his prime. Oh, my yes. God. They're both kind of like looked very conservative at the time when they met, you know, both in these suits. Uh, she says, little did we know we both shared a devil within. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, both were shy and quiet as themselves, but they obviously really let loose when they were performing (laughs) um they elvis later said that she uh felt like a kindred soul in her so she says they both felt a current an electricity that went straight through us it would become a force we could not control she describes Elvis. I know that force. Oh, yeah. She describes Elvis as happy, fun, loving, and good. 
uh, enjoying life to the fullest at this time. Uh, everyone on set could sense the sparks that were happening, especially the press, who wrote a lot of stories about them flirting and the electricity. And um, Anne and Elvis really felt music in the same visceral way. She says, we looked at each other move and saw virtual mirror images. It, it was like discovering a long-lost relative, a soulmate. It wasn't just music and performing they had in common, uh, as you know. Uh, they had a love of motorcycles. They had a very tight-knit family, very private. They both were kind of uncomfortable with fame. Uh, I did not know this until I read Priscilla. Uh, but Priscilla was back home in Graceland when all this was happening. What do you mean in Graceland? Like at, at their house in Graceland. So she's not in LA and she's back home waiting for Elvis. I'm wondering when Elvis moved into Graceland. Years before. Years before. Okay. Like they always. So he had been there for a long yes, time. Yes. And so he meets Anne Margaret. Priscilla is already in the picture. Yes. And Priscilla's something. reading like in the papers all these rumors being like, what the oh, hell is happening? Okay. Yeah. I definitely thought maybe just it was like a clean break. Anne came before Priscilla. Nope. But did you, nope. No, there was. La- so there was keep in mind when all this is happening. Yeah. Priscilla is back okay. home waiting for Elvis to come. Oh. Anyway. Uh, on Elvis and Anne's first date, uh, he took her out with all his, his huge entourage. Uh, but she was used to chaperones, obviously. So they're going on dates at this point. Yes. So he's, he has a girlfriend, but he's dating. Yes. Okay. Uh, Elvis did this with all of his co-stars, basically. And because what we are going to come to learn, if you don't already know, is... What Elvis wants, Elvis, Elvis gets. gets. <laughs> yes. So eventually over time, uh, they would end up alone. Elvis would signal to his crew, like, now's the time to kind of skedaddle. And uh, she says that they would talk till four in the morning about every anything and everything. And uh, here's a quote. We let ourselves come together naturally without analyzing or worrying about it. It was fun, joy, admiration, and love in its purest form. Elvis, Elvis's crew would say, like, you found the female you. <laughs> uh, we, were, we were indeed soulmates, shy on the outside, but unbridled within. We both lived on the edge and were both... S- self-destructive in our own ways years later i would struggle to save myself i only wish i could have saved elvis Hmm. so there's an amazing number in the movie called cheek to cheek and she talks about how that wasn't choreographed they just put the music on and they just moved together uh they also really loved playing around offset uh and talks of impromptu performances on lazy evenings with their friends all around they would just get up and like sing and dance and like have a yeah uh elvis would also come over to her house uh in her book she actually has this adorable photo of elvis and her and and Anne's landlady um elvis like went to her elderly landlady's birthday party so yeah that picture's cute yeah uh she says that they would ride together on their motorcycles all over la unrecognized elvis 
also loved jokes. He loved playing pranks. And he's, she says one time he actually came over on a tandem bicycle and they pedaled that all over Bel Air and people would honk and they would wave and they did like really cute things. And she, they, they also just loved riding around in his car all night listening to music and talking. Uh, Elvis loved giving gifts too and Anne talks about this beautiful... Uh, she had a pink room and Elvis bought her... Uh, or he commissioned a round pink bed for her, which she just treasured. Uh, as you know, I'm sure Elvis mentioned it, and or uh, Ginger mentions it, Elvis had very few people he truly trusted mm-hmm. and became one of them. Uh, his wish was that we would stay together, but of course we both knew that was impossible. And that was what was so difficult about our relationship. Elvis and I knew he had commitments, promises to keep, and vows to keep his word. Both of us knew no matter how much we loved each other, no matter how strong our bond, we weren't going to last. We tried not to think about it. So obviously she's talking about Priscilla back home. Hmm. Uh, They did apparently have talks of marriage, though. Um, There's a shot in the film where she's in a wedding dress they're getting married the press got wind of that photograph and like really had a field day they reported they were getting married uh Anne was really upset and hurt and it was the first time she really experienced how terrible the media could be and she was also terrified that Elvis would think that she was behind that and it's interesting in Priscilla's book she actually mentions this because obviously Priscilla's like um why does it say you're getting married to Anne Margaret and Elvis was like, I can't believe she did this. But he'd really, that he was like putting that on for Priscilla. So Kennedy died when they were filming this film. And she says she went straight to Elvis's and they clung together and cried and tried to make sense of it. And uh, after, yeah, he was still talking about that. Even when he was with Ginger, he like had some theories and stuff. And yes. Yeah, yeah, he didn't really let that go. And it's also a very common theme throughout Elvis's life that he really did not like making these cheesy camp films that he's known for. He really detested it and and tried to encourage him to like do more dramatic work, do like you have the talent, you like, you should be doing it, but the colonel really had a control over his career and kept uh, because they made money. Yeah, there's only one film that he didn't sing in. Yeah, I believe. And he had told Ginger, like when she said, are you going to make any more movies? He said, if I do, it's a serious one. Yeah, he wanted to be like Brando. He yeah. wanted he wanted uh, to be able to show his talent. But yeah, they just put him in these song and dance numbers with like songs he didn't even like. And yeah, unfortunately, he really struggled with that. Um, so by this time, their relationship by uh, necessity rather than choice shifted gears. Um there were factors in Elvis's life that forced him apart from me, and I understood them. Elvis had always been honest with me, but I still, but it was still a confusing situation. We continued to see each other periodically until we dated for almost a year. Then everything halted. We knew the relationship had to end. Elvis had to fulfill his commitment. So he had to go back home to... Graceland and he made promises to Priscilla for years at that point so he wasn't going to just leave Priscilla like that 
Okay. So to get over this and focused on her work, she did a couple movies. Bus Riley's Back in Town, Kitten with a Whip, which is really fun. Uh, she did The Pleasure Seekers, Once a Thief with Alan Delon. They look good together. Uh, I like it when you talk like that, Liz. Yeah. I like it when you talk sexy. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny. Anne actually had constant battles with her studio over her motorcycling. They like really did not want her to ride. They forbid her to ride to work on a motorcycle. Uh, she worked with Steve McQueen on the Cincinnati Kid, and McQueen also was a rider. And she asked him, like, the studio's like pressuring me to stop, and Steve was like, "Don't, like, you're Don't. you're a rider." So, because he said that, like, she she just did what she wanted. So it was also around this time that Roger Smith, seventy seven Sunset Strip, reentered her life. Uh, he was doing a nightclub act, and after a chance meeting, he invited her to come. They had dinner. She learned more about him. Uh, Roger was born in 1932, which I believe is like a decade older than Anne, uh, or nine years. Uh, he also had is married and had had a couple kids. Uh, he was going through a separation at the time. And they actually found out that he also was on Amateur Hour, the talent show, when he was a kid, and he won too. And they had like all these things in common. Um, so they really hit it off. And Roger was also a pilot. And on their first official date, he took her flying over San Francisco. So like, you you, it's like being a rock star, right? Like, yeah, that's like you're gonna win a woman if the first date you're like taking her on a ride around san francisco yeah you hear that fellas take notes yes so yeah after just a few dates they're both crazy in love with each other their relationship was not welcomed by her parents though and this would be the first time ever that she really stood up to them because she loved roger and she knew they were right for each other it was the toughest thing she ever did and roger got a divorce they moved in together uh he proposed in 1966 while they were uh, in New York um, in Central Park on like a carriage ride. Uh, in 1966 and 1968, I just want to mention, Anne went to Vietnam to entertain the troops and that was like an important thing for her. So I want to get that in. Uh, Roger was a really amazing man. He saw Anne's management not doing their job properly and he was trying to convince her that Anne's blind trust in her shady manager was like a huge mistake uh and had no idea how bad it was he was stealing from her he was rejecting scripts without her knowledge that she would have loved to have one is uh cat baloo which jane fonda ended up doing and uh it was like an oscar it got nominated for an oscar and stuff so yeah and while her her manager is doing all this, she he actually came to her and asked for a raise. He already got fifteen percent of what she earned. He wanted twenty five. So she finally started looking into where her money was going, and when's she, she going to kick this bozo right? to the curb? She was actually several hundred thousand in debt because no. of this. Guy. Yeah. Um, she finally managed to separate herself from him and almost lost her career from all the damage he had caused by promising her to producers, directors. Uh, it was rough for Anne at that point. Like She had to rebuild bridges that she didn't even know were being burned. 
Um, so yeah, she wasn't really getting offers. She, uh, she was still with that company, but the manager was different. So after nearly three years of being together, they hadn't married or anything and kind of gave him an ultimatum. Like we either marry or we separate, not in a terrible way, but she had this thing like after three years, either we we move forward or we're never going to move forward type of thing. And Roger was fine with that, but he had one condition that she completely sever ties with her management company, not just that one manager, but all of them. Um, they were just screwing up her career so much, but Anne kind of like Elvis in a way with like the Colonel, she just, she had so much like love and trust and like she, she just felt so bad that she like couldn't do it. She couldn't. And so she said no, and they ended up breaking up. But they only broke up for two weeks. It was Roger who caved in. He wrote Anne a letter being like, I love you. I need you. I'll, if you need to stay with these managers, fine. Um, on May 8th, 1967, they got married. It was not a happy day because Anne's parents were still struggling to accept it. They did not come to the wedding. Man, like back in the day, like I'm like back visiting my family and stuff and like my aunts, uncles, mom, whatever, like all of their parents were all up in their business being yeah. like, don't date him. Don't date right? her. I forbid you, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of them had to go against parents' wishes to like. And that's hard even to my do. my aunt marrying my uncle. Yeah. Like, that's that's a hard thing to do when you really love and you, you know, you have that connection. You don't want to you don't want to ever disappoint your parents. You know? Yeah. Yeah. My parents like luckily like when when they meet somebody, they don't really say anything. But afterwards, if I'm like, nah, yeah, that wasn't really. Um, hmm. Yeah. They're kind of like, I knew it. But yeah, I didn't want to yeah. say anything because I <laughs> exactly. know how my parents were. And I just exactly. want you to make your own. Uh, yeah. Make your own mistakes. Make your own mistakes. <laughs> Clean up your own damn mess. So, mm. Yeah. Her mother, like, locked herself in the bathroom and ended up crying the entire day, like, Aww. sobbing on her wedding. Uh, and the day after they got married, she just freaked out. Uh, for a time, she would spend the days with her husband, Roger, and then she would go home to her parents' house at night and, like, sleep there, trying to please both of them, basically, and, like, not destroy her relationship with her parents. Uh it was kind of ridiculous, but it actually ended up being a good thing because it got to the point where Roger and her parents were talking, being like, what is wrong with Anne? Like, this behavior needs to stop. And it got her and Roger's parents talking, and they ended up building a relationship for it. And eventually Anne moved out of her parents' house and moved in with Roger. Okay, and there we gave them the blessing. And, uh, of course, over the years... Uh, they became the true family, so good. That worked out for them. <laughs> I just uh, let out a little yawn there, and apparently Elvis hated it when people yawned in his presence. Really? Yeah. He'd uh, if he caught somebody yawning, he'd be like, "What am I born, you yeah, son?" Yeah, take a, like offense to it, like yeah. it's him. Like, no, Elvis, you just no. have us here until four a.m. <laughs> like, we I'm not taking now? the speed you're taking. <laughs> I don't know. So one time they went to see her old flame, Eddie Fisher, play and Anne realized how much she missed the stage. And she turned to Roger and she was like, one day I'm going to have my own show. And Roger was like, let's do it. Like, we like now is the time. And she was scared, but uh, she 
with Rogers, you know, pushing her, she ended up doing her own show at the Riviera. This was June 67. Uh, on the first night, Elvis sent her a huge bouquet of flowers shaped like a guitar. And this is something he would do for every opening night that she ever had until he died. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so toward the end of that five-week run, Elvis and his dad, Vernon, and some of his entourage came to see her perform. Elvis went backstage after, and that old flame was just as strong as ever. Uh, he congratulated her on everything, and then his smile faded. Uh, he said that it should be the other way around because he was so unhappy with his work. He's like, I should be, I should be doing this too. Like uh, it was a dark time for him. So he was kind of inspired by her yeah, and what for she sure. was doing. Uh, she says he started talking about the old times and thanking her for all the happiness she'd given him. And then he dropped to one knee, took her hand and said, or, and in a soft, gentle voice weighted by seriousness, he told me exactly how he still felt about me, which I intuitively knew but was very touched to hear. Mm. So, but yeah, she's with, she's with Roger. And he's with Priscilla. Yes. Roger. Both married. He's married to Priscilla at this point. Um, yes, I think so. Okay. But maybe we'll find out. Okay. <laughs> and finally allowed Roger and another business partner, Alan to officially become her managers because Roger basically kind of took over from her management anyway and he's the one who kind of got her well yeah shows. now that they're married like yes her also, debt is his debt so. also roger like really quit acting and focused on Anne's career he like he became her her driving force behind uh all of all of what would to would come uh she also signed with sue mengers who is a massive uh successful hollywood agent she's incredible she has a book also check it out She's she's phenomenal. So now being with Roger and Sue, within a few months, her career was back on track. She was getting scripts and TV specials and recording more albums and touring. Um, so after the success of her first show, Anne had her first ever drink. Uh, no kidding. Yeah. She'd always avoided it because her father had struggled with alcoholism and she knew the effect it had. Uh, but she was offered some wine, and wine's like the sophisticated drink, so she kind of thought it was okay. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that it wasn't okay? Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. That one drink sort of led her straight into alcoholism. Um, though, of course, like most people, I suppose, it started as like a light drink at meal times, and then... Uh, she began doing it to like push away stage fright and things like that. She did a couple nude scenes in a film and, you know, stress about doing that. And Roger noticed and, uh, it began to be a topic of conversation, but she ignored it at this point. Uh, she was also taking sleeping pills like Elvis oh, no. at this point. So yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was starting to get a little dark, but one of, uh, Mike Nichols came around. He's an incredible director, uh, he offered her her most important role yet. It's a film called Carnal Knowledge. Uh, Kenneth Bergen, Art Garfunkel, Jack Nicholson's in it. 
It's a great film. And she plays Bobby, uh, an aging beauty who often ends up in depressing, abusive relationships. And it was an incredibly emotional role. Uh, Throughout the whole film, Bobby is like very raw, very self-destructive and was already at a sensitive point in her life. So between the line sort of between Anne and Bobby kind of got blurred and and began living as if she were Bobby, uh, sleeping like for days at a time, never leaving a room, drinking, depressed. Uh, if you want like a positive out of it, it really, you can see it in the role and she just, she is that character and it's an incredible, incredible role. Uh, when the film opened, she she received her best notices yet and she actually won best supporting actress golden globe and she was nominated for an oscar for it so some good came out of the dark uh when carnal wrapped she had less than a week to switch gears because she had to prep for an eight-week gig in vegas so just like that she had to do it. She managed to do it, but her body kind of broke down. She was hospitalized with a virus. Um, after that, she went into another gig. All of these gigs are sellouts. She's she's just touring. She's on fire. Uh, Elvis would attend another one of her shows, and the pair got up and did an impromptu dance together and played around like old times. Um, she has this funny story about Elvis inviting her and Roger to a party, uh, and when she arrived... Uh, he yelled like, hey, Rusty, come here. Rusty was her name in Viva Las Vegas. Mm. Uh, and he told her to stand perfectly still, which she did. And then he busted out some karate moves all around her, like lightning speed and impressed everyone because like she was untouched. Right. Cute. Yeah. Karate Weird, is a, an important part of Elvis's story for sure. Yeah, definitely coming stemming from Tura. Yeah, because yeah. Tura yeah, was trained in martial arts. So r- you probably are wondering, what's Roger think of all this? I am wondering that. He was a remarkably understanding husband. He never complained. He never showed any jealousy. He knew that they had a very special connection, but he also knew that they had a very special connection. So it never, ever was an issue for him. Uh, the issue he, that he did have was her drinking. So Anne's father ended up getting cancer around this time. So, of course, things got worse. It it got dark, but then Anne finally realized, like, things are out of control. And Roger got her help. She went into a program she never heard of before called AA. Mm -hmm. Uh, She went cold turkey, too. So that was, like, rough for her. But uh, it's 1972 now. She's sober. Uh, she's taking care of her father and she also began to work on a new nightclub act. They were really trying to make her like the queen of Vegas, which is interesting because Elvis is like the king of Vegas. And um, she started working Vegas like before he became like the king of Vegas. So their their careers really are, they are, really are like mirror images of each other. So this act would begin with her being lowered from 22 feet off the ground, singing Clapton's After Midnight. (laughs) So rehearsals went great. Uh, Roger would always be there for a gig. This one opening, he had to attend to Family Matters, so he wasn't there. Anne did the first show. She did two shows in one night. Went great. 
but someone... Oh, I'm remembering yeah. the thing from the beginning yes. when you said, when you foreshadowed. Yes. Okay. Someone changed the rigging on the platform before the second gig. And instead of one pipe, there is now two uh, done to eliminate some of the sway that apparently yeah. is happening. So when the second show started, the two pipes suddenly went out of mm. sync and it flipped upside down and fell 22 feet face down. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, someone there immediately called Roger. He literally stole a plane with him and his lawyer and they flew out immediately. Um, and was in intensive care. She was yeah, in a coma. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah. 22 feet face first. So clearly her face had collapsed. <gasps> yeah. Oh. It was swollen beyond recognition. Um, the bones in her face were fractured and broken. No. Her jaw was broken in two places. Her left arm broken in two places. She had a massive gash in her leg. It was it was intense. So the lawyer, um, their friend Daniel, he had been reading about new developments in facial surgery. And immediately he was like, let's call the best surgeons they flew Anne back to LA to get the best care even though that was very risky but they knew it was important the doctors worked on her for five hours and reconstructed her cheekbone um they fit um fitting the 50 small bone fragments around a tiny ball of string that had been um coated with penicillin and stuck inside her cheek Uh, She had her jaw wired shut. Her arm was in a cast. Her leg was all bandaged up. Um, Her dad, as I mentioned, had cancer. It was terminal. When Anne came out of her coma and, you know, realized everything that was happening, she made it her mission uh, to show her dad before he passed, I'm okay. Like, don't worry about me. So that was really uh, the driving force behind her healing she had been booked to do another Vegas act in late November. Um, remember, she fell uh, in September, I believe. So she told them not to cancel that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, yeah, the accident was on September 10th, 1972. And they were to perform in Vegas November 28th. Mm-hmm. So like 10 weeks later. Anne's 31 at this point. Uh, Her body was not 100%, but she gave 100%, and she did it. She recovered enough. What a badass. Right? Like, 22 feet face down, and within 10 weeks, you're back on stage, not being afraid. She did it, like, all for her dad. Like, look, I'm up. I'm performing again. So, yeah, her dad passed away two months after that. Um... Elvis was also performing at the same time. Uh, he called her in the middle of the night all the time, telling her how lonely he was and how he still Elvis, loved her. What are you doing? Uh, he asked her to come to him, but she said she couldn't. And he said, I know, but... Sounds like she has a pretty great husband. Yes. Elvis was like, I know, but I, I just want you to know I still feel the same. I'm here. So, yeah, um... Anne's dad passed away. This was hard for her. She slipped. She took a lot of pills. She almost had an accident with that. Um, that made her get help again. So 
that was good. Uh, her and Roger moved to Malibu, and Anne began like a soul searching kind of part in her life. She's thirty one. She's you know growing as a woman and as an individual. It was a very important time for her. Oh also, yeah, when you hit your approach and then hit your thirties as a woman, it's a whole new ball game. It is. It's it a is. Yeah. New cycle. Um, and it's a great period for like growth. So yeah, she was going through that. Also, Roger's children began spending more time with them, and they began calling her mom. Anne and Roger very badly wanted to have children, and they tried for years without any success. So for her to connect with his kids, it was very important to her. So this was a good time for her after all that. Um, In 1974, Anne got probably her most iconic role, which was Nora in the movie Tommy. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, she learned all 11 songs on the flight over and she spent a lot of time with Pete Townsend to understand the rock opera and her role. And if you haven't seen it, um, Tina Turner, Eric Clapton, Elton John, Jack Nicholson, Oliver Reed, and of course the who are in it. It was apparently a blast to shoot. Uh, she talks about like one time admiring a ring that was on Keith Moon's finger, a diamond ring. And, uh, he just immediately took it off and gave it to Keith her. Moon. She talks about Eric Clapton, like always jamming on set with, and you know, people would come and go and like, yeah, he would. Right. <laughs> it, like there's always like blues music playing in the background. And, um, she became good friends with Tina Turner. Tina was, uh, going through the Ike drama at the time and, and tried to help her and did a lot of TV specials in the seventies. And one of them, she invited Tina on and, they uh, they got to like really connect. So Anne actually injured herself on the set of Tommy. Uh, she required twenty seven stitches on her hand. Uh, she smashes a TV in it, and she uh, I guess knocked her hand into it. Oh, and... I can't wait to talk about all the TV smashing in my oh, episode. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got some of those stories with Priscilla too. Okay, cool. Um, Anne got a Golden Globe for Best Actress and an Oscar nomination for her role in Tommy it's okay. a it's very uh I, I'm assuming you haven't seen it it's it's very wild I don't I don't want to tell I don't want to spoil for you but you gotta see it I'm gonna watch it tonight yeah do it do okay. it okay um so yeah lots of tv specials Roger's a huge part of her creative team um and yeah her and Elvis still kept in touch and sent messages uh to each other through like their mutual friends and stuff um actually somebody asked me the other day what kind of movies do you like and i was like i don't know that's such and, a like a broad question i, I never answer things like I that know. Or like so what's I your just... favorite band what's your favorite song i'm like how the hell does anyone like choose just one i don't i don't know i know um i should have just been like any movie that links tells me to watch because that's the only <laughs> movies that i watch now awesome i like that answer um and and roger gave Elvis a beautiful slot machine and instead of like three gold bars coming up it was three guitars cute yeah uh so yeah and and Elvis like always were always connected and it's around this time that she started worrying about Elvis because she was hearing things through through people and when she opened on her next gig at the Hilton on August 15th, 1977, there was no guitar-shaped flowers there. And she immediately knew oh my God. Something's, something's wrong. Uh, it was the first time in 10 years, 10 years that there wasn't this, this flower bouquet arrangement. So 
uh, she performed past midnight. So she was like, I'm going to call Elvis in the morning, make sure things are okay. She ended up being awoken by a phone call from a mutual friend telling her Elvis had passed. Um, she was devastated. Uh, Roger asked the Hilton. And confused, probably. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people were shocked and confused. Absolutely, yeah. Roger asked the Hilton to cancel that the two gigs that evening because she was so distraught and they refused and she had to go on that night and perform like two shows um with this on her mind uh but the next day they both flew out to memphis um she was there for his funeral she held uh vernon's hand and what they both saw ginger does not mention that yeah priscilla does okay well ginger mentions priscilla at the at funeral the but not Anne. Yeah. maybe she didn't even know she was there probably, it's probably she didn't even know who she was um she seemed like because she was very young yeah so like so she for sure just been in her own and elvis probably never mentioned that he, no doesn't nope no and Anne of, wasn't uh, mentioned of course because priscilla knew that Anne and elvis had an affair so it's not like Priscilla wanted to see Anne there. Sure. But Priscilla does mention in the book that Anne came to her and her condolences were so sincere that she truly felt a bond with her that day. And uh, it was special. Um, three months- I mean, like all things aside, like it is Elvis. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it would have been everybody I think would have been shocked if Elvis was just that like one woman man yeah you know, like and at that and point the way that they worked it out especially in that decade and it's like good for them yeah like, and yeah exactly at that point like what are you get still gonna hold on to grudges like yeah everyone here's grieving you might as well grieve together and you know try to process this yeah uh three months after his death nbc asked her to host a two-hour memories of elvis tribute she says to this day it's remained one of the most difficult wrenching jobs i've ever undertaken in introducing the different parts of the show i was supposed to be somewhat upbeat at least celebratory of elvis's contributions but i had a particularly hard time fighting the tears um the footage was truly extraordinary but i was just horribly sad uh what was like a 15 minute segment took Anne six hours to tape because she was just that emotional she says, I'll never recover from Elvis's death. He's a part of me, of my happiness and my sorrow, and that will never go away. Elvis and I crossed paths at a time when we were both young, passionate, vulnerable, and idealistic. I treasure the time we were together, and I feel lucky and fulfilled that we were able to sustain such a long, loving, and caring relationship. It's rare to have such a friend as Elvis, rare to have such a soulmate. I love it. Yes. So Anne remained close to Elvis's dad, Vernon, and she actually would visit him as well as talk on the phone with him and reminisce about Elvis like any time either of them needed that until Vernon passed in 1979, a couple years later. Mm -hmm. By the early 80s, Roger was also like experiencing health issues, uh, extreme fatigue, weakness. It was discovered Roger... I don't know how to pronounce this properly. I'm sorry. Uh, myasthenia gravis. It's a muscle disorder. Mm. 
Uh, so the tables began to turn in their relationship where Anne took on the role that Roger had been to her and she really uh, took care of him. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what marriage might be about, the for better or worse sickness health. So yeah. They took care of each other. A lot of people forget Good. that part. Good. But that's when you need someone there for you the most is is the difficult part. So, um, yeah, Anne has never stopped working. Uh, she's won five Golden Globes. She still tours, actually, too. I, I've been dying for her to come here, but she never has. So or, where is she touring? Vegas? Yeah. L.A., New York? Um, yeah, and also, like, random places in uh, the States, too. She I've on noticed. Instagram? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But she on Twitter? <laughs> I, she has a website. All right, I let's go that. find her. Uh, in 1994, she published her book, which I got a lot of this from, called My Story. Um, Anne and Roger were married for 50 years. Wow. And unfortunately, R- Roger passed away just last month, June wow. 4th. Yeah. He was 84. So yeah, they had a long life together. They clearly were meant to be oh, together wow. and loved each other. So yeah, but of course, she never lost that connection with Elvis and she had two very important soulmates in her life. Good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like two two soulmates. Anne has some really fun films. I mentioned oh, wow. a couple. Tommy, Colonel Knowledge, Kitten with the Whip, Bye Bye Birdie, and of course, Viva Las Vegas. I highly recommend everyone check those out, especially Viva Las Vegas. Clearly. Yeah. Her and Elvis, they just like are fire on screen. Have an Elvis month with us, guys. Yeah. Watch his films. Okay. What a great story. What an incredible woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So next week we got Priscilla. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Then Ginger Alden. Then Ginger, yeah. Got a whole lot of amazing women. All right. Well, thank you for another incredible story, as usual. Most welcome. It's been a pleasure and honor sitting here with you, my sweet darling. I've always loved Anne-Margaret, so this has been special for me, too. So nice way to honor her. I've just, I mean, just look at her. Just watch her perform, like, YouTube her. She's magic. Okay. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We love you so much, and we'll catch you next week. Yeah. Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But Wait, the excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to Season 1, we are thrilled to announce the launch of Season 2. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you. And let's make Season 2 even more memorable together. <laughs>